And I was like, I don't think that was a personal visit. No, no, that was, that was ally. That's, it was that's a strategic, it was a strategic visit though. Well, the, and the thing is, is that there, uh, there's a group of those countries that are looking at forming a Pacific NATO essentially. Oh, right. You know, and, and essentially what it is, what they're wanting to do is, you know, have that same level of security agreement that, you know, we share with Europe. Good. That's great. And that has given China a bunch to be pissed about. And so mm. you've started to see this weird reforging of Russia and Chinese relationships that haven't existed in, you know, 60 right. years since the Sino-Soviet split. Although the alternative for China would be to agree to, like, be a part of that and create peace in the region and not want to take Taiwan and Hong Kong, but be happy with the land they have and work like in an economic global system. It is time now for something positive. We might be headed to the promised land the of promised speaking land, the truth the and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Problem can only be solved. When there is a kind of coalition of conscience, of conscience, because that is how it works. This is the beginning. It is not the finale, and that's why we're here, and that's why we rally, 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 rally. We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. Creative minority. Find a way to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Frankly, I know we've got to do something. I like this, just so you know. I like the not live streaming because it gives me this chance, you know, to be like, hey, Jeffrey. <laughs> you know? Right. So, hey, everybody, welcome to Public Access America. Shalom. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Aloha. <laughs> My name is Jason. His name is Jeffrey. And we get together once a week to talk about the week. And we're going to dive right into a topic that I know that I've, I've I just want to talk about China. I just want to talk about it. It's so cool. There's so many perspectives to this. And I don't know if anybody really takes the opportunity to discuss China in the way that they're our adversary in a way, and they're showing their cards. So how are you feeling about China's like maneuvers around Taiwan right now? Ooh, that's a spicy one. I know, right? Yeah, honestly, it's it's one of those ones where it's it's there's a lot of there's a lot to talk about there simply I because know. you know you're not just looking at um you're not just looking at the world uh as it is now, but you're looking at a history uh-huh. that you haven't necessarily had to as Americans haven't had to really think about in a long time. Right. So the Chinese are taught in school that Taiwan is theirs and foreign forces are keeping it out of their occupation. That's what they learn in school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a trip, isn't it? Because when you feed somebody lies for so long, it's going to come due. But I don't know if that's what this is, honestly. Ooh. Well, so let's start with a little history lesson then. Yeah, do it. All right. Hi, China. <laughs> the one listen we're going to get. Yeah. Uh, From so, China, right? Yeah. The, which, which will just be somebody going, yeah, no, we're not allowing this episode right. to air. Um, and I love you, Taiwan, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love Taiwan. I, I'd love to go visit sometime. So uh, here's here's a little history lesson. So prior, you know, so we'll start at World War II. 
um, sure. simply because uh, that's where that's where we're gonna you know see the modern relationship really come into play. Yeah, that's about where I know my knowledge starts. So with so what you have happen is is in dealing with Japan, all of the Chinese forces, uh, communist, socialist, demo, uh, democratic uh, groups all decide to fight together because, well, we have a common enemy and there's a common problem that's happening. Right. So it was it was a very unsteady piece, you know, much like you know the West and and the Soviet Union during the Second World War. But it, you know, there was a common enemy that needed to be addressed and dealt with. However, once that was dealt with, you saw China fall into a, uh, about a five-year civil war afterwards, four-year okay. civil war. Right. <clears throat> so somebody wanted control of China, and there was about like six groups trying to get it: socialist, communist, democratic you know, forces. All of them. yep. And so what you really see is you know two you know two main forces end up you know the socialists get pulled in underneath the communist um party uh long enough to beat um long enough to beat the the democratic side on the mainland um and you have the democratic side which you know they essentially get chased to the seaboard and then what happens is the remaining democratic forces jump to the Tai the the Taiwan Island, right? And the what ends up happening is is that United you know the United States kind of gets involved a little bit, but you know more so it's a you know the the victory for for you know the Chinese Communist Party is is that they have secured the mainland, and and they always figured that it was only going to be a matter of time before um you know they would you know secure taiwan but right. you know it they were more interested in consolidating their power on the mainland so that way you know there couldn't be a pushback if if you know someone like the united states got involved and there was a lot of military infrastructure already on taiwan because of world war ii and so those parties had had a place to go to that was already reinforced it was almost like a military country you know what I mean? So they had protection. You know? Oh, absolutely. It was a military country. And you got to remember that when China finally solidified the mainland, they were still World War II kind of technologies. Like they were behind the more advanced countries in that. Yeah. So, so what ends up happening is, you know, Taiwan is not democratic by any stretch in, in its initial history it's actually under a very authoritarian rule mm -hmm. which is anti-communist right and so we kind of look the other you know the united states looks the other way on that one because right now our biggest you know our biggest concern you know in 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 the 1950s is as long as it's not communist we don't care right we're fighting for little patches because russia is trying to take over after world war ii all these mm -hmm. countries and suddenly we're fighting communism because russians communist china's communist now and now we have to bat that's what happened with vietnam right or korea yep. like and all of these places right all of these places were for to battle against communism yeah and realistically the only place that we ever really had any success was number one uh west germany and number two south korea yeah. um but 
that's a whole nother topic. Right. So in its initial history, Taiwan is under an authoritarian rule that is just anti-communist. And basically it's enough for the United States to go, you know what? Okay, we'll fuck with that. And we supply, you know, arms, we supply, you know, military might, but we also can constantly and consistently keep our air, our, our Navy sailing through the Taiwan Strait. Right. Uh, in order to show the Chinese, look, you know, you don't own Taiwan, but the, the United States' policy on it is also intentionally vague for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, so with Taiwan later be, you know, later moving towards democracy and after the Chiang Kai-shek era, now, you know, you start to see Taiwan really develop incredibly. The United States is pouring money into it, much like we did with South Korea, much like we did with uh, West Germany, much like we did with Japan, even. Mm. <clears throat> and that, you know, we want to show that, you know, democracies, Western culture, uh, yeah. and that, you know, are more valuable, more profitable. You know, you can do bigger and better things yeah, not we're, under we're this selling level. The fr- we're selling the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Everybody gets to buy in, you know. That's, as, why, that's why America thinks we're so good at nation building, because we've done it successfully before. We really have. Um, we've really, we really have done it in, in, you know, places that I would say in places where, you know, you've had an opposing force. Now we failed in, in Vietnam uh-huh. horribly, but you know, there were other problems in Vietnam well before, uh, that era. Agreed. Um, and there was no fixing that. They're just, you know, we, we dumped a ton of money and resources into that and that, that was, you know, that was never going to work, period, right. end of story. But we did have success. You know, West Germany literally became a powerhouse compared to its eastern counterpart. <clears throat> right. Japan became a powerhouse compared to even South Korea at the time. Um, you know, because what most people don't think about, you know, everybody, you know, knows South Korea now is this, you know, technologically advanced economic powerhouse. But for a long time, they actually lagged behind North Korea. That's right. And so Taiwan saw what was happening with, you know, the investments in the 50s with uh, West Germany and Japan and decided that, you know, they wanted to get their piece of the pie, too. But they also wanted to make sure that they had security guarantees that they weren't going to end up battling China at some point. China right. wasn't all too keen on starting a war with a nuclear power, you know, because at this point, China doesn't have nuclear arms. The Soviet Union does. But China right. and the Soviet Union uh, have kind of some guarantees with each other uh, about security. And it was kind of one of those, we're just going to leave this one lie. Mm-hmm. Now, Japan, <clears throat> Japan started actually buying islands between itself and china so that china wouldn't take them over and there was mm-hmm. a little conflict there later on and there still is an issue with um mm-hmm. the was it the senkaku and oh i forget what they call them oh you're good i'm bad with names but i it's, get the gist i want to say thing. it's uh, oh you got it this the senkaku island actually. The, yeah i forget but but it's, i know it starts with the it's like daijo or or not daijo mm-hmm. uh okay. Daiku or something like that islands. I, I forget what it is. 
but you tried you tried that's more than i was gonna do <laughs> but so these so these islands are um so these islands are um number one it's it's part of this whole like you know how how you know it's it's beyond the economic zone but it's it's really about ensuring that you know the united states could secure passage in certain places right so this is where it gets a lot more fun they call those now, gray, gray zones by the way yep yeah. so now in the 50s you start to see some some issues between china and the u.s over taiwan there are some not there's some skirmishes with you know taiwan but they don't really do much they don't really go anywhere and and that's to be expected you know the the chinese are you know they don't necessarily have you know they they have some military might but they also kind of got their ass handed to them in the in the korean war and so the the reality is is that there's a willingness to push that boundary but at the same time there's not because what they realized is is that the u.s forces were you know they were very formidable and realistically we never we never fully committed a, a bunch of forces to the korean war we committed quite a few don't get me wrong but not in the same level as you know we did when we were fighting the japanese or right. the germans and when you're and, when you're when you're spending all your gdp on war you can't spend it on technical advancements and like the united states had peace in there so we were able to advance and we had germany advancing russia was advancing but china wasn't advancing because all of their money and resources were going to war at that, at time. that point okay. which is why you see you know instead of the chinese supplying fighter pilots over mm -hmm. uh korea it's the soviets that do right i just i want people to realize there's billions of chinese people but they don't have a lot at this point they're not like a military might most of the civil war was fought on the ground in you know hand to hand and stuff like that it wasn't like long-range missiles or a navy or an air force that was doing it for china yeah so one of the biggest issues that you know then comes into play is you know you start to see issues between the u.s or between china and the soviet union pop up Ooh. And, and you know after the skirmishes of of the 50s with the u.s you know the u.s backed taiwanese government all right they have a border together mm-hmm you start to see issues cropping up you know basically you know after Stalin dies and you see the power vacuum that exists there and you have Khrushchev coming in, Mao doesn't see Khrushchev as the leader, the free leader of the communist world. You know, he sees him more as somebody who's trying to play friendly with the West. And this, you know, in a way has gone against Soviet doctrine and uh, Maoist doctrine at this point. But stupid, stupid doctrine, though, by the way. And so the, you know, Khrushchev's idea was actually very clever, which was, you know, we'll show them, you know, how good we are. And we will, you know, his literally what he said is we'll build, we will make the rope that they'll hang themselves with. Right. And, and I mean, it was actually like his ideas, you know, while poorly executed, were actually very clever and it led to um some significant advancement during that time for the soviets 
But unfortunately, what it also did was expose the Soviets for where they were at. You know, under Stalin, you know, Stalin mandated like extreme progress at a time when the Soviets, you know, were literally still in horse-drawn carriages. Right. But under under the new doctrine of the Soviet Union, though, that that progress at at any cost disappeared and so you started to see what what khrushchev focused on was people and so you actually saw the standard living of the average person increase in the soviet union during his time period right and the imperialism slowed down no not really actually it 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 changed it you know while the you know there was still this there was still this push to try to beat the 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 U.S. into space, and you see a mm-hmm. lot of that happen. But it wasn't country being taking over countries to expand. You know what I mean? That it wasn't. Down. It wasn't. It wasn't an expansion of economic might so much as it was military might. Whereas, right. the, whereas the U.S.'s doctrine was kind of like a you know, if this works on a military scale, we're going to push this into you know a a, a public scale. Right. So with the with the Khrushchev era of the Soviet Union, you know, the average Soviet citizen's life increases dramatically because you start having cities built um, around production centers. You start having really, you know, I would say for the average Soviet citizen, impressive gains in their standard of living because now they've got apartments, they've got electricity, they've Mm. got dedicated work, you know, they've got these economic centers that ultimately make their life a lot easier. Now, China's still at this point very much focused on this idea of, there's still a largely agrarian system, you know, at this point. And so they don't have the same technical, you know, they don't have quite the same technical capabilities as the Soviets do, but they're working on that. Right. And so realistically, you know, you know, it's around this era that you start when Mao sees what Khrushchev is doing, that he starts realizing, Oh shit, we need to start building our own technical capabilities because the United States has an incredible war machine Mm -hmm. that is still pumping out you know, billions and trillions of dollars worth of weapons that are, you know, heading to every democracy across the country, across the world. And Taiwan is benefiting from this. They're benefiting from U.S. technology because, you know, much like the Soviet doctrine at the time, any any country that was like, hey, we're anti-communist, we were throwing money and resources at. Sure. And honestly, we had far more success with it simply because there were certain guarantees that had to be met before we got, you know, they got the money. Whereas the Soviets literally was like, you know, if if any government said, hey, we're going to be communists, they would literally just bankroll them. Right. And that would come to bite them in the ass later. And Mao saw that. So that's so as these issues crop up with, you know, the Soviets and the Chinese their focus is now kind of on each other and Taiwan mm. kind of gets left alone for a hot minute. Right. Uh, uh, and then when you have the Sino-Soviet split, you now see communist China starting to look at the West in a much different light, which is a really interesting thing because Mao's greatest criticism of relationships Khrushchev, with the right. West. Yeah. was, you know, he, he did not like Khrushchev's approach. Right. 
and there was but there was also some ego there too because you know with with stalin's death uh mao thought that he should essentially be the leader of the communist world and you know the soviets went no that's not how this works right (laughs) and so that's when you start to see a major split in doctrine between the soviets and the chinese so after after the sino-soviet split and the thawing of relations with the west in the 70s you know you actually also you you start to see the com you know that communist wall come down Uh where we go from you know military standoffs to hey don't do that i'm pissed at you for doing that right in in the soviet union they had a a word for quote-unquote china's final warning because china during that time had issued like 900 final warnings and at some point there, you know, your final warning, you know, it's not a final warning. It turns out. <laughs> and that all led to, um, the one China policy in, as part ni- of in the, 1979. Yep. As part of the relationship thawing with the West, though, you know, in order for us to have decent relations with the, the Chinese government, we had to, we had to publicly say that, you know, there was a one china policy mm-hmm. you know but china, china came up with that the leader of china came up with that and it was we're gonna they they received hong kong back from the brits and they said we're gonna let hong kong be and we're gonna show you how great we can be to hong kong and then maybe taiwan will want to do this deal so that's how we got hong kong which i really you know i, I love hong kong so and that was the thing is like the way that it was written was enough for the u.s to stomach so right we always agreed that you know we always agreed that when it came to china you know the communist party was the ruler of china however we never viewed taiwan as part of china and that's where the biggest right that's where the the ideological split is now realistically for the longest time taiwan claimed that they were the legitimate government of china because you know number one they weren't right communist. right and so that's where this whole birth of the one china policy comes from is is that taiwan claimed owner you know governorship over china right even though that originally they were fighting for china they never surrendered they just sat on an island prepared to so yeah so yeah uh, that's but, interesting so so in a lot of ways what we've done is we've agreed yes you know the communist party rules china but taiwan is not a part of china right whereas china sees them as an autonomous region that needs to be brought under the fold eventually we're gonna but we're gonna show how great and peaceful we are to everybody by doing that in hong kong we're gonna show you what we want to do with taiwan in hong kong and that's cool because it was more democratic you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i like that but then china started like advancing on taiwan a little bit in the 90s and then we sailed one of our ships over there and china backed down but somebody had said china never got past that because they never wanted that to happen again they never wanted to have to back down because of the u.s and that started really what happened until ping took over panda ping panda ping (laughs) yep shit they're gonna bomb us aren't they no no so now ping changed everything i'm sorry i'm gonna we're i want to speed it up a little bit (laughs) 
Oh, that's you know, and so, yeah. so this is you know, we had very stable relationship with with China up until Xi Jinping, right? And so, one of the biggest issues at hand, you know, was the issue of Taiwan. You know, other you know other governments, you know, other previous rulers had seen you know our relationships with Taiwan as problematic, but mm. you know it was one of those it was one of those things where china was focused on growing their economy so they weren't about to really kind of right. tip that balance we'll, we'll we'll invest in china a little more if you leave taiwan and hong kong alone now with the fall of hong kong you know essentially you know now belonging to the ccp right which you know she claimed was you know the the goal all along and their he decision is, he is they've made he's made no secret that you know what is going to happen with taiwan will be exactly that right but and, and so that's where you start to see relationship with the u.s sour significantly mm-hmm. um now i mean there was some souring of the relationship during the trump era simply because you know trump ended up putting on a bunch of tariffs right they, took over, really, they took over hong kong during trump's administration mm-hmm. yeah and the tariffs that you start to see put on during uh, during his administration not only hurt their economy, but it hurt ours too. Right. Were you those know, two connected? Hong Kong and the tariffs? I didn't think they were. No. No. Uh, no. He just China, didn't see any diplomacy and maybe not doing that at the moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I, it was kind of one of those things where his tariffs, I think, ultimately pushed the decision for China to bring Hong Kong underneath of its wing. Right. Um, simply because you know there, you know, you're starting to they're starting to see that you know there is no dealing with this particular president. Right. You know there. So if you know this particular administration is going to be hostile to the Chinese government and then well, economically, right? Because right. the original deal was you're going to invest in China. We're going to leave these places alone. But now if you're tariffing, putting tariffs on us and affecting our economy, then that deals off, isn't it? And we mm-hmm. can go after Hong Kong and Taiwan. If you're going to go after our economy, we're going after our sovereignty. Right. So, so with that, you start to see th- this, you know, I would say major change in um, the CCP's policy towards the U.S. You have Hong Kong bring, being brought under. You have tariffs also being placed on United States goods, yeah. mostly then, impacting the agriculture sector because, you know, the Chinese government, you know, they were very, they were very shrewd in what they targeted. Mm-hmm. They targeted the things that, you know, they did their homework. Right. You know, the, the products and services that, you know, are come from the constituents that vote for Donald Trump. There's still, there's, the, yeah, farmers died because of the soy embargo, because all of a sudden China started buying from Colombia and Brazil. And it yep. was like, oh, we're never going to get that back. So, yeah. So that was a, that was a massive blow to the U.S. Right. Um, and, not one that I think the previous administration really thought about all that well. Right. So that leads us to the current state of affairs where, you know, Trump, Trump did what, you know, he was a lot more vocal about what we had always supported. 
which was, you know, Taiwan is an, you know, we see Taiwan as an independent country. Right. But they've never, Taiwan has never really declared their status as an independent country in an interesting way. Trump saw Taiwan as a marketplace to sell arms. That's what he saw every country as a marketplace to sell our arms. Yeah. And realistically, it was a great marketplace to sell arms, yeah. you know? Yeah. And they bought yeah. a whole bunch. <laughs> they did. They bought a whole bunch. Yeah. But at the same time, too, their ability to produce microchips is critical to the U.S. We have to remember that point, that they manufacture 95% of the microchips in the globe, on the globe right now. Right. So for us you know there's a strategic value in arming taiwan uh-huh because because that's how we get our chips now the biggest problem there is is that you know a lot of the precious metals that have been going into chip making have come from china and russia yeah 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 so this you know so this is where we get into the microchip shortage right which i think really interesting point right here to make that i think is interesting is we passed the chip act and Nancy Pelosi visits Taiwan and talks to the CEO of the chip manufacturer. And I think that went under the radar a little bit, but I could, at first I thought maybe China's mad because if we take the microprocessing plants from Taiwan and bring them to the United States, China doesn't have any like financial, you know, they can't stranglehold the world by just taking over an island. You know what I mean? Right. And I thought that might have pissed she off. Oh, so, and it did. It absolutely did. But on that you grounds, know, is that something that he was mad about? That because nobody's talking about that. You know. So the thing about that is, is that because there is a strategic value in in Taiwan's chip market. Yeah, and we we can offer them billions to come here and well, stay there, but come build here exactly and that's yeah. and that's you know that's the key that's yeah. the key working there is is that right. we can offer a lot of money and in exchange for a lot of arms you know yeah. essentially right you know that taiwan essentially could be an advanced system that mm -hmm. you know literally uh, would be on par with say south korea Japan, iron dome like israel right but not only that, but they that company could start building semiconductors here in Amer in Ohio. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So just stealing that business or securing that business out of China's control, that's got to be scary for China. There's no economic boost if they take over semiconductors. They can't, yeah, they can't stranglehold the world and then Russia can't have them, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And so it absolutely pissed off. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese that, you know, Pelosi comes to visit, which funny enough, if from the lens of American politics, the, the Republicans have lost their talking points, you know, mm -hmm. they're still trying to push the same ones, but right. you know, the whole, like, you know, the democratic party bows down to their China, their communist Chinese leaders. Right. Chuck Grassley stood up for Nancy Pelosi. Lindsey Graham mm -hmm. stood up for Nancy Pelosi. McConnell did a number of mm -hmm. them did. They had to, they had, it's to. like, it's like you don't you know you don't get to um you don't get to you know make these inflammatory statements and then have you know one of the highest right. ranking officials visit and which is also, why she also went to uh south korea and japan and somewhere right after that indonesia or somewhere but mm -hmm. she did like an asian tour somebody had said it's not fair that she put our country at risk for a 
personal visit. And I was like, I don't think that was a personal visit. No, no, that was, that was ally. That's, it was that's a strategic, it was a strategic visit though. Well, the, and the thing is, is that there, uh, there's a group of those countries that are looking at forming a Pacific NATO essentially. Oh, right. You know, and, and essentially what it is, what they're wanting to do is, you know, have that same level of security agreement that, you know, we share with Europe. Good. That's great. And that has given China a bunch to be pissed about. And mm. so you've started to see this weird reforging of Russia and Chinese relationships that haven't existed in, you know, 60 right. years since the Sino-Soviet split. Although the alternative for China would be to agree to like be a part of that and create peace in the region and not want to take Taiwan and Hong Kong, but be happy with the land they have and work like in an economic global system. You know what that, I mean? There is an goes, there's an alternative to their communist isolationism. You know what I mean? There is not. And that's, that's what most people understand about communist doctrine. Communist doctrine does not believe in existing necessarily in peace with Western ideas and values. Okay. It's about, it's either about taking over places by force or winning hearts and minds and converting people to that particular form of government and to fall under that fold. The thing about communist rule is, is that communist rules expanded significantly during the forties, fifties and sixties mm -hmm. simply because there was a monolithic body that had a ton of support. You start to see that stagnation take place in the seventies yeah. um, under the, in the Brezhnev era, because, you know, number one, it turns out that trying to overthrow the world by force and throw your arms in every which direction with no oversight as to how things change and, and, and what communist policies end up getting mm. implemented tends to take a toll on your own economic birth. Yeah. And on top of that, at least for the Soviets, they were not about to challenge NATO and the U S because what we found out by the time, you know, the Cuban missile crisis hits is, is that the Soviets don't have the same capability with their missiles as we do. Right. Now that's changed, you know, that changed much later on, but by that point, you know, we were looking more at coexistence than we were at, you know, outright That's revolution. Because right. econo economic cooperation leads to advancement. What the chip manufacturer in Taiwan said the his ability to create and innovate was based on two things, peace and education. That's mm -hmm. what every country needs to advance. And the only real times of advancement for communism is when they work in cooperation with the globe. Other than that, they're spending their money on military and not advancement, oppression and not advancement. Like she is one of the most oppressive. He's he's up for a third term this fall. The Communist Party's going to get together and vote on him. And they're having guess what? They don't have mass shootings over in China. They have mass knifings. They they're isolated. They're shut down. Like people are upset with a lot of things of his cooperation with Russia, which is weird. And his wanting to take type people 
are getting irritated with him and that's making the political chum of the political um of the communist party um they smell blood and so so um he like russia did he kind of distracted everybody with the domestic problems by fighting for taiwan and like now 24-hour news cycle is him in his game right now you know what i mean and they think it was successful although they didn't have an opponent <laughs> so so the thing is is like so the way know, that the communists I threw, a, I threw a lot at you i'm sorry uh so the way that the communist government works is is that uh, interestingly enough, they don't, the, one of the biggest changes between like the, you know, Maoist to current is, is that every president of the, the Chinese communist, communist party serves a 10 year term. Okay. Now she has, you know, what they, what they started to do was try and draft laws that would allow a person to serve longer than 10 years, potentially indefinitely. Right. And a third, a third uh, term would be a life term for him, basically. So the, he's only on one term. He's only been president since 2013. Oh, I thought he was on his second. No, he's up for his second. Wow. Okay. And there was a lot of there was a lot of interest in that initially. However, since the Trump era tariffs, uh, since mm -hmm. the you know issues with Hong Kong, issues with Taiwan, now yeah. you that you have actually have a huge banking crisis in China. Right. Um, He's not being looked at as favorably for um, another term at right. this point, he's and not, so he's not Teflon. And so this is this is actually a really interesting idea, you know. So basically, what ends up happening is is that you know their their leader ends up overseeing two five year plans, you know, which has been one of the biggest. That's been one of the biggest things about the Chinese economy is is that you know having a planned economy, right? Not a great idea. And they're not going to, that's one of the issues too, is that they're not going to hit their numbers. No, but, but unfortunately that's one of the things about every Chinese or every communist government that has ever had a five-year plan. None of them have ever rarely ever hit their numbers. You right. know, usually like, you know, in their, in, in the beginning, absolutely they did uh, simply because, you know, you had this, you had this uh, camaraderie that, you know, we have to make this work. We have, you know, we, we overthrew governments in order for this to work. Right. But when the average person started to realize nothing really changed, you know, and unfortunately one of the biggest problems with communist governments, uh, you know, un, you know, not unlike their, you know, capitalist counterparts, bribery and lying and all this other shit is actually right. very common. Elitism, right? elitism um people you know bribe you know people fudging the numbers in mm -hmm. order to make themselves look good right you know it doesn't surprise me you know this is actually very consistent with you know communist mm -hmm. doctrine is, is that right. if you don't make your numbers you lie about it but if you put it all together people start to get anxious especially right after covid you know the, that that policy of lockdown that did not work for him at and that's all. and that's been one of the biggest problems is is that the lockdown policy hasn't worked that ate the, up his capital right yeah that ate up his capital um you have a gigantic mortgage crisis in the country yeah. where people are either refusing to 
you know, pay their mortgages or they're trying to take their money out of the banks. Yeah. And COVID which, made COVID made the world see them as unstable, which meant they were moving their supply chains, you know? Right. And then not only that, but then you also have the supply chain issues because of the tariffs and, and all this. Right. Other and Donald Trump saying, shorten your supply chains or else in the middle of a year, just one day to Apple, right? Like, yeah. So ultimately what you end up seeing is, is that the resilience, you know, there is a resilience of the Chinese economy, mm -hmm. but when you don't have the support of you know, the other major economies of the world, right. You know, your, your system will collapse plus, you know, making bad decisions about how you treat a pandemic also impacted the way that they were able to produce and sell their goods. Right. It shrank their GDP. It had to massively. Oh yeah, it did. So <clears throat> with the lockdowns and, you know, the fact that COVID is rip roaring through there right now, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, here in the United States, dis despite our best efforts, I would say, you know, our vaccination, our, uh, monoclonal antibodies, our Paxlovids, Hell our yeah. transition to work from home in a lot yeah. of cases, our impact, our impacts to our economy have been significant but not so significant that we're in the same level of crisis. Right. We still have, we still have the same crises that we were facing before the pandemic. We don't have any new ones. Right. Um, we're and still number one. And I told Dan that, that it's really sad that we just became so technologically advanced with vaccines to, to step into a country that doesn't give a shit about vaccines. <laughs> but this is about Taiwan and China. <clears throat> so, so it's all super unstable. And, you know, it's not just them like seeing Nancy Pelosi and going, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, U.S. representative, you know, because the Senate had people go over there too. A bipartisan mm -hmm. committee went over there and talked. Yep. So it was just, I think they took the opportunity to create a new baseline around mm -hmm. Taiwan. And I don't, I don't know if the world's going to put up with it. <laughs> now I this just, is, I don't know if he has the resources to continue. If we stop funding it, if we realize that China is scary, like commercially, that it's it's a poor investment they're not stable i think they'll just start draining you know you know you think about it russia has the gdp of the state of texas right think about that for a second um so the largest country in the world literally has the the gdp of one state right um that's not a great that's not a great trading partner uh, -uh. uh japan has a huge gdp South Korea has a huge GDP, right? Even there's even been a major shift towards working with Vietnam because even though Vietnam is a Chinese, uh, is a communist government, their version of communism is even more different than the Chinese version. Right. And so, you know, there has never been a focus on trying to expand, you know, Vietnam. It's their issues have been more about countering China. And so you, you found, you know, a more willing friendship with Vietnam simply because, you know, what China has done is, is they've, they've pushed too far. Right. So I think they have, and I think they, I think they overstepped because you can't isolate and grow an economy. I don't, I've never seen a country 
do that. And so even if you have to have this policy that says deep down in our party, we hate the world, you have to work with it. Your policy has to be, we need to work with them. We can hate them and we can try and get, get what's best for our country first. Right. But mm -hmm. we got to work with other countries. And that's kind of what I thought that's what she was doing was like, kind of like, we get a percent of every company that starts here. I was like, that sucks, but he asked for it and got it. That's asking, that's working for your country, but he's, he's on a different tangent and it's more of a isolated dictator tangent to me. You know what I mean? The forced technology transfers has really hurt China in a way that was not expected. Um, right. You know, because for the longest time, you know, we really were, we really did just go, yeah, sure, whatever. We'll give you whatever you want. Right. But under Trump, that changed. Now, uh -huh. one of the few things that I happen to agree with the guy on is, is that forced technology transfer is not a great situation. Right. But Democrats he, believe that, too. It's not like right. they're like, woo, give them everything. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's exactly it. It's just that, he, the, you know, he was the first person to really sit down and go, no, this is fucking dumb. We're not doing this. Anymore. Yeah, I'm willing to blow this relationship up. Yep. And nobody had been willing to do that up until this point, Republicans or Democrats. Right. I mean, that was that was actually probably one of his smarter moves. Like, broken clock is right twice a well, day. Kind of. If you think you can withstand the economic um effects of fucking <clears throat> with china then you do it i'm like i think people should have prepared for that before we said that i think we should have gotten some of our companies out of there before we sent that bomb you know i think we should oh, have done I, that but he i did absolutely it. agree but he did it and so there's two ways to do it like an asshole or like a diplomat one takes way too long and the other fucks shit up <laughs> well and and that's just it is is that you know sometimes the only way that you have to deal with something is you rip the bandaid off. Right. Right. And what didn't help was the fact that he ripped the bandaid off and then we ended up in a pandemic. That's right. He kind of ripped <clears throat> the bandaid off at the wrong time. Yeah. And, and I mean, like who the hell could have predicted that there, you know, that a pandemic that, of that magnitude would have happened right then. And right. There. There's like, a way, there's a way we can change lines in our laws to slowly restrict that policy China was doing, you know, like oh, subvertly, but he was overt and yeah, she took offense to it. So did Russia. Yep. And so with that, and Iran, <laughs> fuck Iran and Iran don't fuck mm. Iran, but you know, and Iran. <laughs> and Iran. So <clears throat> that leads us to, you know, that leads us to the current policy of dealing with China, which is, yeah. you know, it's like, look, we, you know, we have friends and we have working partners. And with the decision from China to, you know, essentially not have our military counterparts talk anymore. Right. And run these drills. Uh, around Taiwan, that has um, that's not been real good. Um, no, no. Although they're saying that they shot missiles over Taiwan, but um, somebody else said from the angle they weren't shooting over Taiwan; they were shooting over a Chinese-occupied portion of an island near Taiwan. Yeah, and. <clears throat> And on I know top of that, it's a subtle difference, but to me, it makes it's a, a difference. subtle difference. It's a subtle difference, but they also, some of these missiles landed in Japan's, uh, economic right. zone and the gray and zone that thing. was a, that was a big problem. 
Right. Because um, the thing about like all of these missile launches, whether it's North Korea, whether it's whether it's China, whether it's Russia, mm-hmm. I mean, hell, even if it's us, it's like there is there is an understanding that the the stuff that we you know the, the things that you launch you do as a show of force right like the the war games that we do with korea uh, south korea you know we know that that's you know part of a show of force uh-huh. but we've always concentrated it to the south of south korea right um anything that we do with japan usually on the usually on the u.s mm. side of japan Oh, if we start working in the Philippines or Australia, China mm. has a fit. <laughs> oh, which is why they're pissed about the the, uh-huh. the Australia UK US relationship, right? Uh, relationship, <clears throat> because you know this is a new this is a new relationship that is bound to create problems for China. You know, Australia doesn't have they haven't had an advanced navy. They never have. Right. They've never needed to, and. Right. You know, and, and a lot of times, you know, they had, you know, they had their protections from the British. Well, uh-huh. with, you know, with the advent of um, China's current military posture, we saw the need to, you know, Australia saw the need and we saw the need to help out dealing yep. with, you know, this particular issue. Right. Um, and realistically, you're not going to counter China you're not going to protect yourself as well as you'd like to using a bunch of diesel subs. That's just not (laughs) right. It doesn't work the way you want it. Although China's Navy, like you, we talked about a long time ago is the numbers are bloated because they, they count fishing boats and stuff in there. So you could kind of maybe take 30 to 40% of the Chinese Navy out with a diesel submarine. (laughs) I mean, you could, and, and I mean, diesel submarines have their place, you know, sure, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's, they're not reconnaissance vehicles. They are, you know, land-based defense, but even then your land, if your land-based defense is really fucking loud, mm. that doesn't really help. <laughs> right. Like yeah. it's, you know, when, when the, the survival of your ship depends on you being as quiet as fucking possible. Yeah. Not the best solution. I guess a fishing boat with a sonar could catch it pretty quickly. <laughs> it's true. But, you know, I was just thinking that this really does seem like democracy against communism. And it's mm-hmm. like in America, we we're splitting hairs and we're having this stupid little fight about, should we be authoritarian? Should we be democratic, directly democratic? I like that idea. Capitalist. We're having all these arguments, but the truth is we don't want to live in a communist country. No. You know, like, and communist countries are there so that people that want to live in them can move to them. I just wish people in communist countries had the ability, if they wanted to, to move here. Well, and that's the biggest problem. Or to democratic that, countries. Well, unfortunately, you can't do that because, well, you have anybody left in, in a communist government. I know, like, right? That's the whole problem. And that's, Communism like, is flawed because it... it it doesn't promote itself. It, it eats itself. And every so often it tries to take over, but it's been so eaten and depleted and oligarchs have sucked out so much of the money that there's nothing invested in that thing. You know? Right. And so that's where, that's where this this problem uh, is that, you know, with the Chinese, with the communist model, if, if you were to actually create 
successful communist model, it should attract people. Like, right. you know, but the biggest thing is, is that number one, the people who complain about, you know, the, the people who complain about capitalism, uh, you know, there are legitimate complaints, unbridled capitalism, unbridled capitalism doesn't help anybody. That's you know, right. there's predatory capitalism is real and mm -hmm. it's not good. You know, it's, it's why the, we do have some regulations, you know, some had to be made. I understand right. that. And there, there's that, a lot of regulations out there that don't make any sense. We're splitting hairs like Republicans loosen regulations, Democrats tighten regulation. But we're always going to want capitalism because the alternative is not something we want to live under. And mo what, what people who want to live under communism typically don't understand is, is that when you look at the living standard, of a person who lives in a communist government right what you start to see is is that when when we're talking about your needs being met i mean bare 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 necessities mm -hmm. like you know basically like you know if you've got a cold and a cough yeah sure that's covered if you have anything major happen to you it's not right. if you know your basic food you know your bread your 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 ration of meat your ration of dairy whatever it be it's bare minimum yeah. eating, you know, the kind of foods that you want to eat, not an option. Right. You know, I, I hate to say it, but you know, most, most communist governments, it's not that it's not that they're, you know, a vegan paradise. It's that quite literally meat is a premium and you have to pay for that premium. Right. That's why they have the economy of Texas because they yeah. have the oligarchs sucking out the money. Like, Vladimir Putin has what a ten billion dollar house on the Black Sea. If Something he had like invested that. that ten billion into his economy, then guess where their economy would be? You know, it's like you, you're sucking it dry. The model of communism might work, but the practice of it by people, kleptocrats—that's what they're called—people that steal money from the government as they're in it. Then, yeah, that's what ruins communism, and it always mm -hmm. will, because there's always going to be corruption. There is in democracy too, but there's checks and balances in a democracy to where it won't go too far, hopefully, <laughs> without getting caught. And when it doesn't get caught, we get really upset about it, you know. When and the other issue too is is that the number of people who complain about you know capitalist countries and the fact that you know they don't get their needs met and that you know communism is the way to go. The reality is, is, is that, you know, these countries, these communist countries live by the motto, those who de who shall not work, nor shall they eat, you right. know, y your productivity, like whether or not you want to admit it, even in a communist country, your ability to eat is based on your ability to be a productive citizen. That's right. It's no different than the United States. The only difference is, is, is that here you have multiple options. You get to choose to be vegan. You get to choose to be, you know, a meat eater. You get to choose to do all these different things. Right. We have our problems that absolutely have to be addressed. You know, living standards are, you know, you know, a, the ability to afford a roof over your head has spiraled in a way that hasn't happened in a long time oh yeah with the advent of work from home however i do see that as the potential to have markets uh actually start to neutralize in a lot of ways because why do you need to live in the big city if you can live in a rural town and work from home and have the same internet connection Right. We could Get do the a same whole hour. We could do a whole hour on just the housing. You know what I mean? Right. Like maybe uh, we yeah. will. Maybe, maybe we will. Maybe we will. Well, how about 
Thanks for listening to Public Access America. My name is still Jason. His name is still Jeffrey. We didn't talk about the week, but we talked about the week in in Taiwan. I love Taiwan. I had a friend for years in Taiwan, and I can't talk to her anymore. Her her account disappeared, and that's the kind of stuff that scares me. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I like that. I like that. That was a great conversation. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. Very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, they will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not yes, we can. what your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. My poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome, welcome to public access America. Yes, we can. Sunday live stream time, YouTube. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Twitter. Apple Podcasts. Podcast, Stitcher, Stitcher Smart, Smart Radio, 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 Radio Public. And Spotify. Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.